This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Lindsay Hamilton. Lindsay is a fifth generation farmer with a passion for growing soil and education. When not helping to oversee their three family businesses, which include a sod farm, greenhouse, and landscaping company, she enjoys spending her time on her one-acre garden with her husband and two kids, making maple syrup and quilting. She is a true believer that there is no such thing as not having a green thumb, and wants to teach as many people as possible to grow their own food and preserve in a modern way. She believes there's a little homesteading and farming in everyone. I am so grateful to share Lindsay's story with you today. I had the privilege of meeting Lindsay when I took a trip to Quebec in the summer of 2022 when I visited Laystone Farms and had such a great time getting to know Lindsay, and now you get to know Lindsay. Before we get to her story, I am excited to be able to share a brand new review that was left on Apple Podcasts by one of our great listeners. This five-star rating and review is titled Best Company for Chores. This podcast is my go-to for chore time. I manage our small farm and homestead by myself, and it can be easy to feel worn down or pessimistic. Listening to this podcast puts strength in my step as I tend to our animals and land. Stories of motherhood, agriculture, entrepreneurship, and more make the content well-rounded and inspiring. Keep it up, gal. We're all in this together. Well, thank you so much for that kind rating and review from Kels W220 via Apple Podcast. And my friends, I would love to read your kind words on an upcoming episode. So if you have an Apple product, 
please leave a rating and review there if you haven't already done so. If you are listening on Spotify, you can leave a star rating there. Any other podcast platforms that gives you the option, I would appreciate Also, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. There are comment sections on every single one of the show notes for each of the episode. Leave it there. Go on Facebook. Leave it there wherever. I just really (laughs) would like to read your kind words. They keep me going. I promise. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Lindsay. Lindsay, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing so well. I am so excited to be chatting with you again and to get to share your story with the audience here. I had the opportunity to meet Lindsay this summer in real life. So I always think these interviews are extra special when I can put a face to the name that I've seen in real life. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a random meeting because I had listened to the podcast before and then I got to meet you in person and it was so neat to meet you in person and then to get to talk again. It's pretty fun too. Yeah, I love this connection. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Lindsay, tell us who you are, where you're from and how you got your start in agriculture. So my name is Lindsay Hamilton. I'm from the rural community of Quill, Quebec, which I don't have a French accent, but I, because I am a sixth generation or fifth generation, my children are the sixth generation of our family farm here in uh, Quebec. And we are from Irish descent. And so we live in a community with a lot of Irish descent and descendants. And we actually are very English in this community, despite being Quebec-based. We have lived on, worked on this farmland for many generations. It primarily started out as more of a survival thing for my ancestors. You know, they lived in a sod shanty. And then later, as they gained a little bit more income, they were able to build the homestead. And the farm went from just something of survival that they would use to feed their family to being more of a farm that can supply an income as people began to work off of farms and live not just off the land. So then it became a sheep farm. And then later on, it was my father who actually saw the opportunity in our area and a need for a turf operation. So he began that in 1977 alongside my mother. And they have been growing sod ever since here at Mountain View. So lawns, soccer fields, golf courses, all the above. Uh, We grow sod for all of those different needs for people. I think that is a pretty incredible story to hear from a sod shanty to growing turf uh, <laughs> for your community. That is such a lineage and such a heritage. And it's it's so neat that you know all the way that far back to where you came from. It's a really special connection because we, in the winter, like a lot of farmers here, we actually do some maple syrup too, just as a little side hoppy. And the trees that we tap were originally planted by my great-great-great-grandfather when he settled here at the farm. So these massive trees we can put four or five taps in were actually planted by him. And then many generations later, the maple syrup from these same trees were then boiled in what we call the horse pasture. So my grandfather and his sister would take out the horse and 
the big team of horses with a buggy and they would spend the day at only a small age of like 10 and 11 years old. They would man the fire in a big cauldron outside in the horse pasture and their mother would send them with a packed lunch and boil it into maple syrup. And so these trees now, that seed tap, I'm tapping with my family now too. That is so incredible, Lindsay. That is such, oh, that just gives me goosebumps hearing that. That is so neat. So growing up on this property and, you know, growing up in the industry, was there any doubt in your mind that this is what you wanted to be doing when you grew up or uh, were you thinking of you wanted to head off of the farm? I co-own the business Mountain View um, now with my brother, Jared, and he from a very, he's older and from a very young age, he just knew he wanted to be on the farm. He's a, he's a homebody by nature. He's more of the child, we'll call him the, the typical sheep, whereas I was much more of the black sheep of the family from the two of us. And, uh, so what I really thought I wanted to do was be off the farm and in the city and singing on Broadway and doing all sorts of different things that would involve the art and music. And then I went to the city for a little while for various trips and I hated every minute and I couldn't wait to get back home to the farm. And so I knew very early on that I had to figure out what my niche was because I wanted to join the family business and I wanted to stay on the farm and live and and raise my own family on the farm. But I also wasn't the typical farmer. So how was I going to be able to use my abilities and the things that I'm passionate about and apply them to agriculture here at the turf farm? Yeah, for sure. And I love that you recognize that about yourself and knowing that you're not a typical farmer and what could your place be in the business. So tell us what that place is and the structure for Mountain View Turf Farm. What do you what do you guys do there? <laughs> so we do a lot of things. So our obviously the primary business is the sod. We have seven hundred acres of tillable land, which is an all of sod. So it is a beautiful product um, that is takes about two years to grow from seed to harvest time. So it's different from the typical cash crop operation in the sense that, you know, within a season that cash crop farmer will get a profit off the field, hopefully meaning that they had a great year and weather was cooperating. Whereas we have to manage and put costs into these fields for 24 months in comparison so it takes a lot longer to get that profit off of the field and a lot more time maintaining it and praying for good weather so that the turf fields aren't ruined from that delay in harvesting. The My job here at the farm is I deal a lot with um, inventory. I'm a to-do list person. I'm a list lover. So I love to make up lists and inventory, human resources. I do a lot with our social media. I have a big passion for growing. So I'm kind of a self-proclaimed disease and bug expert here at the farm. Um, So if anybody has any questions about weeds or diseases or bugs, they typically bring it to me because it kind of fuels my fire a little bit to see and diagnose things. So they bring it to me and they think it's disgusting sometimes, some of these typical turf grubs and worms, but I love them. And also soil analysis. I love looking at the science of soils because I think that our area has such a cool growing area that from one acre to a nest, it can be completely different soil mediums depending on the history of those fields. So that's kind of my role here. And I'm able to take my passions and my different abilities and that are completely different than my business partner and brother, Jared. He is 
literally my polar opposite. And we just are able to kind of be that yin and the yang to uh, the business here. I think that's what you need in business, though, and that's what it takes to run a successful business is the yin and the yang of, you know, people have different talents in different strengths in different areas and utilize those talents and strengths to build your business and to build a great partnership, especially if it's with your family, because those uh, those partnerships are obviously important in business and in life. Absolutely. And I'm thankful in the sense that so because of our, our farm and our homestead, he lives in the original farm house and quite literally next door, I'm in there with my family in what was built later, the retirement home. And so we live next door to each other. So it's a good thing we get along. Yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you said that it takes, it's 24 months of a growing cycle for the sod. Can you walk us through those 24 months and just give us a broad overview of what the life cycle is for turf? <laughs> sure. So typically in another crop operation, you would you would seed in the spring, whereas we're actually a summer seed operation. So seed goes in the ground usually in August or September. It's just a better growing time for turf. So what ends up happening is after a field is completely cleared of previous sod, it's plowed down and then we apply typically chicken manure because my brother has a chicken operation. So we have a manure source that's very cheap, and as well as what's called a biosolid, which is just a paper byproduct that we get from the local pulp and paper mill here. We truck it, and what it does is it holds moisture. So putting in that pulp and paper, basically, which is garbage to them, but it's actually great for the fields. And then after that's plowed in multiple times, we have to actually make the land very, very flat. It needs to be as flat as a pancake. And that takes probably the a big amount of time just to make sure that there's no hills because a hill or an, any little bump in the field will mean that square footage in two years is not harvestable. So it has to be as flat as possible. After it's completely flat, we'll go in there with what's called our brilliant seeders. So we'll cross seed. So we'll go in multiple directions with the seed and it basically just drops it down. We always try to time it around a time of rain because nothing is better. We have an irrigation system, but I know many farmers would have uh, very much agree with this, that there is nothing better for growing anything than an actual rain versus an irrigation system. So then for the next 24 months, uh, or by then it's a, a little bit less than that, we will be fertilizing, irrigating, and mowing multiple times a week until it's time. And then it's Turf is a winter dormant plant, so basically you don't have to do anything into the, to it to the winter. It kind of goes into its own dormant state. It goes to sleep and hibernates for the winter. It reserves all its energy, and then in the springtime, it'll green back up. So the only thing you really have to do in the springtime then is actually go over it with a very heavy roller to sometimes the frost will make the roots heat out off the ground. So you just want that contact with the roots back to the the soil whenever the spring comes during that thaw cycle. And then once we know that the tensile strength or the the ability for it not to rip is good, we can, which we basically just take a steak knife and drive around the fields and test different areas, try to pull away from the turf from each other. And if it doesn't break, that means it's harvestable. And then we will harvest them. And we have two different types of rolls right now. So one is our small roll that two by five or 10 square feet. And then another roll, which is a huge roll, is two by 118 feet. So 
262 square foot rule, which works much easier for a large soccer field application. That is so neat. And I, I'm picturing this all in my mind while you're saying this. <laughs> and just the different, you know, the growing conditions of grass. Like when we're thinking of it, I'm thinking of the grass that grows outside of my window. I'm Yours is much nicer than mine, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, but <laughs> it, it just is something that I guess, you know, in agriculture and in the fields that I stand in versus the fields that you stand in, you know, we are essentially growing plants is what we're doing for different purposes. And yours is, you know, for the landscape and for fields and for recreation, basically, and beauty and, you know, minds to eat. So. <laughs> yep, absolutely. There is, I, grass has kind of gotten a bad rap lately. because, And I know that there's some things that are practices that are disagreed upon. But for the most part, grass is the number one supporter of erosion and to be able to put that down so you can avoid soil erosion is huge during construction. And there's always going to be soccer fields. So, you know, soccer fields, baseball fields, they're important to our recreational and mental health. So, Yeah, exactly. What are, we're talking about erosion, what are some other things that grass is good for that uh, in the world of soil health and that area, I guess? Like, what are some of the benefits that you still see grass being used for? Grass is actually a really great water filtration system. So the root system of, of, of a turf plant, because you're not removing it like you would like a normal garden plant or any other crop plant, you're not removing the root system. It's staying there. So the water that may be dirty or contaminated that goes through, to, through a turf root gets cleansed and filtrated to almost perfect conditions very, in a very small amount of square footage. So, that's, so turf is actually a swamp grass originally. So that's how it was way back in the days was discovered. And then people just started mowing it shorter um, because it was easier to walk on and easier to do stuff on like play soccer or golf or just even to maintain. So it's actually got a really beautiful, because of that, it originating as a swamp grass, it's got a huge root system and it shoots off many, many roots as far as 12 feet below the ground. And those roots then cleanse the, the, the water. It also has a natural ability to reduce heat, so it's it's like a natural cooling effect on on the area. So it's got so many benefits, as well as just a natural habitat for a lot of animals and pests and and insects, and it's just very important. Yeah, for sure. Are there different, this is just me not knowing a whole lot about turf, are there different types of turf? Like, is there different like varieties of grasses that you grow or that you can grow? Absolutely. So we grow what's called the Kentucky bluegrass. And so it's a standard bluegrass here in Canada that survives winter really well and is very harvestable because of its root system. We also have what's called here a bentgrass sod. So we have about, we have a field of bentgrass that takes a little bit more maintenance, but it would be used in a golf course setting for like putting on, for example. We also have what's called a, a, a low mow Bluegrass, so it's basically another Kentucky bluegrass type, but it can be mowed down similarly to that bentgrass. And but I've heard, seen other people grow like a fescue sod. They that's the they, you can grow perennial ryegrass as well, which is a really nice mixture for a seed blend. But you typically don't have a full field of that stuff. Very cool. So Lindsay, when do you typically harvest? When is your harvest season for for the sod? We'll harvest starting usually around the middle of May when the fields are not too wet to 
to drive out to in the, in the tractors, with the tractors. And we'll go right through, like, for example, this year we, we harvested right until the middle of December just because the season was favorable. You don't need beautiful sunshine and conditions to cut as long as the sod and the soil is not frozen. You can basically harvest right till there's no fly. And from your harvest, how long until that sod needs to be placed where it's going to live? It depends on the time of year, but typically we recommend within 24 months. Now in December, when it's minus 12 at nighttime and pretty cold even during the daytime, it can last for weeks even because the grass is already dormant. So it's not growing, it's not taking up nutrients. And then what happens is that in the springtime, if you put down like a late fall, winter, roll of sod, by springtime, when it does get those nice growing conditions of sun and, and rain, then it actually goes ahead and reroots itself once it wakes up from that hibernation. That is so neat. I think in my mind, I envisioned it being harvested off of your field and immediately having to go to somebody's front lawn and being put on there. But obviously, it's a strong roll of sod uh, to be able to survive. Grass is surprisingly a very strong plant. I think it looks like it's weaker because it's smaller, but it's very strong. Well, I think if you've ever tried to kill grass anywhere, you really realize how strong it is and how much it really wants to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't see the need for killing grass, Caitlin. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to the wrong person about killing grass. (laughs) (laughs) You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman podcast, Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the rural woman podcast. So Lindsay, on top of the turf farm, you've actually, you know, expanded your business, honestly, to a couple of different businesses. So tell us what else you do over there. Well, we, we like to keep busy here. And so people like to joke that they don't know where we can find the time, but whenever you're having fun, it really doesn't feel like that much work. So we have another business that our parents started back in, I think it was 96, and it's called Gemma Property Services, which is based in Canada's capital of Ottawa. And it's very, it's kind of a, a stem, we call it the sister company, uh, in the sense that while it's not a farm, it does deal with a lot of ornamentals. So it, it does all the external landscaping of a lot of high-profile government sites in and around Ottawa. So it would do the the flowers. It would do a, a lot of the tulips for tulip festival, tree planting. It just makes sure that company makes sure that all those beautiful government sites that are being visited and toured are looking beautiful for all of those pictures that, that get taken during the the summer and winter months by all those tourists. We kind of like to say that we set the stage for people's memories on their trips to Ottawa. And then when <laughs> that, that's that company. And so then in this past spring, so one of my passions is growing, not just sod, 
but also my husband and I have a large one acre uh, veggie garden that we use to feed our families. And that is a huge passion of growing. So in my education, I went to the University of Guelph and there I studied not just turf, but also like plant science, greenhouse science, greenhouse management, horticulture in general. And that's where I just fell in love with growing and plant sciences. So this past year in May, we opened the Homegrown Garden Centre, which is based at Mountain View Turf Farm's main office. And it's a greenhouse that supplies those ornamental needs to people who are going to be doing their own gardens. For me, I just think that trio of businesses just works so well together and you've been able to, you know, work and expand your family's legacy into the valley and, you know, keep on growing, whether that is from turf or all the way to the ornamentals. Like you said, the flowers around the capital are absolutely stunning. And uh, being able, like you said, (laughs) to set the scene and be part of those memories for people who are visiting that area and to serve your community in a way that you love. You love growing and you love the vegetables and the flowers and all of those things. So like you said, you like to keep busy and uh, keep growing. (laughs) (laughs) We do. We do. But it's neat because it's so special that we're able to do what we love. And I know it's so corny and cliche, but I get to grow things and get my hands dirty and work outside. I get to do all these things that I know many other people dream of doing. And we also get to create these jobs that, you know, aren't just a standard job where you're sitting behind a desk. We have those jobs and positions, obviously, because a farm is absolutely a business on top of just being an an entity for a, a farm. But we also have so many positions for the typical, non-typical worker who just doesn't want to be sitting in a cubicle. So we're able to offer those positions to many people who have the same kind of passion as we do. Yeah, for sure. So tell us more about the greenhouse. What are you able, what are you growing in there and what are you able to sell to your customers? So we would offer a lot of perennial plants. So plants that will you can put in your own garden around your home or some annual plants. So the typical geraniums, we have trees, we have shrubs. One thing that I'm obviously very passionate about besides growing, but but also growing your own food. So I think it's a lost art. I think too many people are forgetting how to grow things themselves. In a hundred years ago, it was just a knowledge that was passed down from previous generations. And even if you didn't do it to supply food to your family, you knew how to do it because grandma knew how to do it and showed you and you helped. And now it's becoming a bit lost as the generations move away from growing their own food. So I always try to encourage people by having some really fun plants that they can do themselves. So tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, strawberries are a big one. Like everyone knows strawberries right now are super expensive in the store. So I encourage people have a little pack with 10 to 20 plants in them. They're perennial and they're super fun and easy to grow. And you can supply your own berries in the summer for your family or raspberries or blueberries. There's so many things we can grow here in Canada that I'm just love to be able to supply at the greenhouse for people and kind of teach them how to grow those things as well when they're here. It's not just like a fly off the shelf here, come by this thing. I really like to take the time to like try to educate people on how to do that. Yeah. And I have to say that is one thing that I really appreciate about you and following you on social media is, you know, 
breaking it down step by step of this is how you do it. This is, you know, different ways of growing, but also this is how you can preserve your food and use it all year long. One thing that's coming to mind is your preservation of tomatoes. Ah, It's so good because I think we have like this notion in our mind that we just overcomplicate things for ourselves and it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to learn how to use a pressure canner and like worry about blowing your house up. Like you can simply just freeze things in your freezer if you have the space. Because I just think like, like you said, learning how to grow food is a lost art, but I also think learning how to preserve that food, we can overcomplicate it sometimes. Absolutely, because I think a lot of people aren't being shown how to do it anymore. And we're modern day people. We might not have the same ability to or need or time to preserve tomatoes the traditional form. So we have to alter that. While growing might be the same, Sometimes you have to change. And I think my grandma and my ancestors would agree if they had the resources like I have, they would try to make things simpler for themselves too. Right. Like why not make it simpler on yourself and not have this pressure? Because if anybody is anything like me, you overcomplicate it and then you just throw your hands up in the air like this is too much work. Like why did I start doing this? And then you kind of fall off the wagon when it's like, no, I started doing this because it's an enjoyable thing for me. I like eating fresh food. You know, if I can preserve it in a freezer versus figuring out how to use a pressure canner, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you gain that confidence. And I think that's something that people are lacking when it comes to not only gardening, but also, like you said, preserving their food because they haven't been taught it and, and shown it in their face, not just on a YouTube video, but actually hands-on experience with them. People are lacking that confidence. and But if you get a little bit of that confidence, I find that it grows. So I always encourage people, start with one little garden box. Start with preserving your tomatoes in the freezer. Start small because when you master that little piece, you get another puzzle piece that makes the big picture seem a lot less daunting. So one little puzzle piece at a time, and then your confidence grows, and so will the garden, and so will your, your preserves. Yeah, exactly. Lindsay, I want to go back to a question that I think sometimes is skirted over, especially in agriculture, because it can be kind of a hot button topic depending on who you're talking to. But you are yourself a fifth generation farmer and you work in a family operation, which has grown and changed and evolved over time. But what advice do you have for folks listening uh, to having a great relationship or a good relationship or, you know, maintaining a healthy relationship with your family in a family business? That is definitely a hot, hot button topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, but I think a lot of people, what we did differently, was it easy? Absolutely not. But I think something that we did differently that's not easy for people to do, but that I would encourage them to do is take the personal out of it. So our process was 10 to 15 years long. So our parents looked at the business and looked at my brother and I and saw the bigger picture, thankfully, and 15 years out from Jared and I owning the company, set up a succession plan. So they sat down with people who were not just Jared and I, who, who, let's face it, 15 years ago, Jared and I were different people than we are 15 years later. So they hired a financial specialist 
they hired a lawyer and they hired a tax specialist. And that team of people would sit down and they would plan. It was always a plan for Jared and I to take over, but the steps that needed to happen took a lot of time. So there is a lot more things that have to happen from passing down a business to just the actual operation itself. There's a lot more things like signing over the actual land and signing over there's tax implications there's financial implications from succession farming and i think that's why a lot of people delay it because of those but making sure you have the patience and the foresight to do it much earlier than what you want to and getting a team in place that is not just your children or this other family members because sometimes it's hard to get past a family business and a family farm because it becomes personal and being able to set that team up that is not directly related to you, I think has a lot of value. I couldn't agree more. And like you said, the personal aspect of it, I think that's the part that people get really hung up on and worrying about feelings and emotions involved, which those are all valid things to be concerned of and obviously should be in in the conversation there, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is the business and how do we transfer this effectively to make it as easy as possible. Absolutely. Christmas dinner looks a lot different when you're sitting around with people that you might be doing business with and making sure to step that farm business away from that Christmas dinner table so that you can keep having those beautiful family moments past that transition time, I think is key and giving yourself lots of time to do it. I think people really underestimate how long it can actually take. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's not it's not an overnight thing. And usually if it is a really quick turnaround, there's unfortunately something that happened because of it. If you're having to pass things over quickly or if there was a death or any of those things, and those are all worst case scenarios. So giving yourself the time and giving family time to transition and process these things, I think is super important. Absolutely. And and just encouraging and trying not to be debated. So I think many farms and older generations really hold on to it because it's their legacy and having that respect for their legacy so that you can then recreate your own legacy later on is is difficult, but also necessary. So, so keeping that other person and other generation's legacy alive by also changing it when time comes is really important. It's, it's a mutual respect thing. Yeah, for sure. I think the respect piece is, is super important in that. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. And, you know, I think it's encouraging, especially for folks who could be going through similar things right now that don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel to know that it does take time uh, and patience, which uh, can sometimes be really taxing. But those are important things to remember uh, in any transition for any operation, but specifically for family farming. Absolutely. Just remember to your core that, that you love them and that your family. So Exactly. Repeat that to yourself every day. I love them. I love them. I love them. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, what is next for you in Mountain View Turf and the Homegrown Garden Center and all of the good stuff? Well, we're coming out of that post-pandemic life right now, which has made things difficult for supply and and, and the chain supply stuff. So we're, we're, we're doing that. We always have some different businesses and things on our mind 
to our core, our family's big on uh, community. So um, we're always trying to better our small rural community because we have a big passion of where we live. We love Cleo. We love um, the Pontiac. And we are always trying to do different things to kind of better the community because rural community doesn't have the same type of resources as a big city would. So um, being able to help where we can is really important to us. So we're always trying to think out of the box there. We've recently expanded our acreage here at Mountain View. So that has been a big, big adjustment. It's got, we've doubled in inventory basically in the last two years. So making sure that we don't, we grow, but we don't grow too fast. Yeah, that is extremely important. And especially like you said, coming out of pandemic life, still being a toe into it, like not knowing about supply chain management and all of these things and wanting to grow, but doing it, like you said, in a, in a pace that works for you and works for your operation. And do you have any big plans for the greenhouse for your next uh, upcoming growing season? For this growing season, definitely, because I'm feeling a lot less stressed. This time last year, before Christmas, I was we were just in the middle of starting to to actually build the greenhouse. And so I wasn't able to start certain plants early enough um, like I wanted to. But this year now it's, it's standing and it's heated. So now I get to start some things earlier like I wanted. And so being able to play in the green, nice warm tropical greenhouse this winter, I'm really looking forward to. We're going to be bringing in, um, now that we kind of know what people want and are looking for, we can really hone in on those. And as well, I didn't want to do it year one because I was already overwhelmed with opening the business. But this year, I'd really love to do some workshops with people about preserving food and how to grow things and just kind of like a one-on-one just to kind of, and it's also a great outreach chance for people who have similar interests or maybe who have lots of questions. Just kind of want to come and check out the greenhouse. Yeah. Uh, I'm very jealous of you being able to go out into a warm, tropical greenhouse during the cold winter months and get to play in some soil. So you, (laughs) I'm very jealous of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be thinking of you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Okay, Lindsay, we are going to jump into our new segment of the rapid fire questions. Are you ready for them? Okay, I was born ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm glad. Okay. Our new rapid fire segment is brought to you by Canada's Egg Day. On February 15th, 2023, people across the country will celebrate the food that they love and the people who work hard to produce it. In addition to being a day to celebrate farmers, producers, and all participants in the agri-food industry, Canada's Agriculture Day is one of the few times that consumers can hear the industry speak with one voice. Canada's Ag Day is a day for farmers to share their pride and their love of food. So no matter how you get your social, make sure you are using the hashtag CDNAG Day, Canadian Ag Day, when you do. And for more resources, you can check out the link in today's show notes or head to agdaycanada.ca. All right. Here we go. My first question for you is, if you could only pick one vegetable to grow for the rest of time and you only could grow one, what veggie would you grow? Oh my gosh, if you could see my face, it, my mouth, my jaw just dropped. So it's like picking <laughs> one of my favorite children. Um, okay, one. I would pick, I would pick, oh boy, I would pick a potato 
because I feel like they last the longest. You can grow them. You can eat them during the summer, but then also eat them all winter long. Whereas there's not a lot of vegetables grown here in Canada that are like that. The I wouldn't have pictured you to pick a potato. I thought you would have picked a tomato. Well, yes, but like, I feel like that satisfaction of not having a fresh tomato in the winter is kind of making, is hindering. I can always grab my potatoes from my cold storage and it's just like it came right out of the dirt. That's very true. And potatoes, like you could make so many different kinds of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very, you can make, I'm just making pierogies this coming weekend. So to have in the freezer. Amazing. I, I'll be there this weekend to, <laughs> to eat those products. So, okay. Next one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like the flip side to this question. If you could pick the one fruit or vegetable that if you didn't ever have to grow again, that you would never want to grow again, what would it be and why? Oh, I do this often though. This is a loaded question, just so you know, because because I have a science heart, I like to grow things that I've never grown before every year. And nine times out of 10 at the end of the year, I'm looking at myself going, why did I waste that space on this vegetable? So I'll give you an example. <laughs> eggplant. I planted eggplant, which I thought was, this will be cool. I've never grown an eggplant. This will be wonderful. And then I grew it and I hated growing. It's got thorns on it. It's got thorns on the stem. It takes forever to grow. And I hate eggplant. So I'm like, <laughs> it took up so much space and in my time because it's a really finicky little plant. And I'm already getting mad thinking about it. <laughs> there you go. No more eggplants for Lindsay. That's like, I don't think I knew they had thorns <laughs> on the stem. So that is good to know. Okay, this might be the toughest question, and I thought of it immediately when I thought I was going to talk to Lindsay, the turf farmer. It's a this or that question. What smells better? Freshly mowed grass or fresh baked bread? Oh, you know I make (laughs) bread every weekend. This is mean. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to say, oh, uh, fresh mowed grass and I'll say because when I was so I I lived in Guelph when I went to school there and then and I was really homesick and then after that because I was obviously homesick but I wasn't ready to come back to the homestead I moved to British Columbia for a while and I was very very homesick but every time I could smell that fresh mowed grass it made me feel better almost like my security blanket there you go that's a that's a great story to to add to that question. So (laughs) I would personally say it depends on the time of year. Like if I smelled fresh mowed grass today when it is minus a million degrees out, I would probably prefer that smell over the bread because then I knew it would be warm outside. So (laughs) well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for for entertaining me with those questions. (laughs) They were tough. Way to go. Thank you. Yeah, I thought real hard about those ones. So... (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? My biggest reward is that I get to combine the things that I love with the people that I love in the place that I love and do good with it. So I get to show my family and my kids, (laughs) you know, what it means to be a farming, a woman in farming. So my son um, never has any doubt that mommy can't go on the tractor or hop on the forklift or the backhoe, lift a roll of sod, 
he's starting to see and love the idea of of coming to work and being on the farm to work because he's he's watching our love for it through us. I get to wake up and look out over the acres. I get to work with some of my best friends and the people that always have my back and we always have them. It's a really cool operation in that sense. And I get to create a legacy and I get to create a legacy for the people to come, for the community and for my own family. And I think the legacy and the big picture of life, that's what we're all looking for is creating that legacy. And I'm so, it's so fun to see it unfold day to day as I do the things that I love. Those are all wonderful things. And like you said, creating that legacy, not only for your family, but for your community and for you to be a part of those families' legacies too and be part of their traditions, I think is pretty neat. So kudos to you and all of the hard work that you do uh, in your area. And I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on here and share your story with me and with everyone here. So thank you again for, for jumping on here and uh, chatting with me today. It was an absolute honor, truly. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Well, the Turf Farm, Mountain View Turf Farm, is on Facebook and Instagram. And then my own social media platform where I give lots of tips and tricks for growing and preserving, like the tomatoes, like Caitlin said, is on Instagram at Homegrown Small Town and on Facebook as well. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. That's great. Thank you again for sharing your story with us today, Lindsay. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.